Hello and welcome to Politics in the Pulpit. This is a lectionary-based preaching resource designed to ask the provocative question of whether, and if so how, politics should appear in our pulpits this week. Each week I'm joined by a different guest from a space or place on the pulpit or political landscape. And today I'm really pleased to introduce Dr Katie Cross, lecturer in practical theology at Aberdeen and co-editor of Feminist Trauma Theologies. Thank you so much for joining us today, Katie. Welcome. Hi, it's really nice to be with you. Thank you for having me. So, um, politics in the pulpit. I wonder what that means for you. Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself, your context, and, and kind of how you hear that? Absolutely. Well, politics in the pulpit is just really kind of natural to me. I grew up in this little church in the west coast of Scotland in a tiny little village, and we were kind of facing a lot of different things we were near this nuclear um arms base Faslane, and there was also I, we were on the west coast of scotland sectarianism was everywhere so there was a lot going on politically we had it right at our doorstep and that's where i grew up and the church i grew up in was so um just really involved in those kinds of issues so it was never politics was never out of the pulpit um and that's just how I came to learn about it and came to um, be formed, I guess, into, into the person I am now and, and the theologian I am now. Um, so um, being a bit the theologian you are now, uh, what yeah. is it that uh, matters to you politically? Is there a particular issue or a, um, an area of justice that burns particularly strongly for you that you'd want our preachers to hear about this week? I mean, just oh, everything. <laughs> Um, I, I teach and I um, write on so many different things. So I teach and write a lot on sexuality and gender. Um, obviously, I've done quite a lot of work on gender as well. So gender-based violence is one, which comes, again, out of my own context. So both of my parents were really involved in those kinds of issues when I was growing up. Um, my mum worked a lot with a young woman who had just had babies. She was a health visitor. And I remember just kind of seeing a lot of those issues really in 3D um and, and really up close when I was young too and so that's kind of come with me and I come from a church so I'm Church of Scotland should I disclose that now <laughs> you could have bit me off <laughs> um, so I'm a Church of Scotland background um and I suppose the Church of Scotland is is usually a fairly friendly place um to women but you know the reality is it's not it's not always and so gender has been something that I've been really interested in um in the past few weeks, though, what I've not been able to stop thinking about, so this is maybe a few weeks old, it's not very current, um, but I'm from, well, I'm from near Glasgow on the west coast of Scotland, and a few weeks ago there was this immigration removal span. Do you remember that? In Kemmere Street, Glasgow South Side. So I've just been thinking a lot about just hostile environment um, and the politics that have led to... Yeah, just a hostile environment, people not being allowed to stay um, seeking shelter um, here in Scotland and, and being removed forcibly. Um, so that's been on my mind a lot recently. And also just the community kind of rallying around and coming to um, coming to help, I suppose. That's one I've just not been able to stop thinking about. Mm. Yeah. It was such a striking image as well in the news. Um, yeah. I think so many of us watched it with that kind of, just the kind of gathering of people holding it. And I just, yeah, one image yeah. of community. 
It was yeah. a good one. It was a good one. And I'm I'm quite hopeful because it's nice to see people rally. But, you know, knowing, I, I suppose just knowing how these things work politically and thinking through, well, what had to happen to get everybody there? You know, there's so many different community um, kind of based organisations. I was thinking of Refugee. I'll give them a shout out. They're a good one. Um, who do just like such a good name, isn't it? Isn't it great? <laughs> isn't that great? Um, but they do so much work to kind of campaign and bring people together, and it just makes me think. One of the things that I've I've thought, and and I suppose coming from that part of the world as well, um, I've done a lot of protests against nuclear weapons at Faz Lane, and a lot of it is to do with community organising and bringing people together, mm-hmm. um, and that's how stuff gets done. So uh, there's so much going on behind that image, isn't there? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So they're getting stuff done that enables mm-hmm. is to challenge policies and procedures that might be unjust. Absolutely. Okay. So each week, I um, I also email my JPIC colleagues and I say to them, "What is it that uh, going into this week of preaching you would like our preachers in our churches to be listening to as they um, open up scripture and think about?" what they will be speaking about um and um and so they've got various suggestions i'm going to uh, just comment on the fact that one of the key news stories over the last week has been the prime minister's marriage and uh, oh, that's yeah. a bit of faith and politics really kind of coalescing there as, a, as an example of people like to pretend sometimes that we don't do uh, we don't do you know we don't do politics in the pulpit well actually sometimes sometimes faith and politics very much the news story of the week um, there's G7 meeting in Cornwall um, with uh, lots of things on the agenda around global tax rules, vaccine delivery worldwide, which is something we've been campaigning quite hard as a group of churches on, uh, UK bilateral trade deals and uh, kind of impact on wealth creation and rural economy going on there. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of conversation too around school catch up and um, the government of government have been announcing their school catch-up plans uh, which I think it would be uh, diplomatically right to say are much disputed and debated um, <laughs> yes <laughs> and then um, and that's also true you know of, of the oppositions um, and obviously that's generally Westminster I think um, but it's uh, definitely been a conversation piece here perhaps particularly mm-hmm. pertinent because in England at the moment it's half term um, uh. and kind of the context of no school for a week for those things to be discussed in tea. Um, and then um, zero COVID deaths have been reported uh, yesterday, uh, which is great news, but um, in the midst of rising cases, perhaps feels like a little bit of a mixed bag. Um, so um, with our kind of metaphorical newspapers open, in, our, in one hand, we turn to the Bible in the other hand, and our readings this week are um, well, it's it's back into ordinary time. So we have a choice in the Old Testament between Genesis 3 and 1 Samuel 8. Um, Genesis 3 is um, a slightly obscure bit of Genesis 3. It's just the bit uh, where God asks Eve about um, and, and Adam about uh, what's happened and um, and they, they give their excuses. And it doesn't really go into the consequences. It just sort of sticks with that little mm-hmm. bit, little slice. Um, they've got 1 Samuel um, and it, it's... Um, is Samuel being asked to provide a king. And then we've got 2 Corinthians 4, um, which talks about even though our outer nature is wasting away, um, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. And then we've got Mark 3 as the gospel, um, which is uh, all about um, how 
uh, kind of Jesus being challenged uh, for having demons by the scribes and his family thinking he's, he's kind of lost it and um, the different conversations that go on there. So um, there's some, some quite interesting passages. Sometimes I look at them and think, hmm, where would we go here politically? <laughs> This is, this is not one of those weeks. This is one of those weeks. I think we can go quite a lot of places politically. Katie, what is it that jumps out for you? Where would you, where would you begin? I, well, <laughs> I was thinking, is there a theme across these texts? And I sat with this for a while and I just thought, no. Um, the honest answer is I can't find one. And it's either because I haven't, obviously, so I work in a university and I preach whenever I'm wheeled out to be preached. I don't preach very often. So either I'm not seeing one or there just isn't one. Um, and, and I do a lot of work uh, in trauma theology. And so there are certain things when I read them, they just they just jump out at me and I can't get over them. So a bit, a bit strangely, I was reading through these and I got to 2 Corinthians. And, and this is probably not what you would pick um, if you were preaching. But I'd, I got to, I think it was verse 16, 16 to 18. Um, yeah. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we're wasting away. I think you've said this already. Um, and then it moves to talking about um, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs uh, them all. So we fix our eyes not on what's seen, but what's unseen. So it's all about the eternal. It's all about eternal hope. And I just got really stuck there. Um, and I, I couldn't I couldn't move on until I'd thought about it because I just it's really hard to hope at the moment. I think just in terms of everything we're seeing, politics, the world, the economy, everything, um, I think it just makes it so difficult to to hope. And so I kind of thought about how you would typically preach on something like this. So if I was teaching people how to preach, this is quite meta, I might say <laughs> to them, well, what? <laughs> what's happening with the hope here? Um, you know, it's not it's not bad to have hope. It's not um it's not bad to think through you know, the eschatology of it or this long arc of justice idea. I mean, those are those are good things. Um, and in a way, it's comforting. You know, we're part of a bigger story. That's really nice to know. It's, it's something that's good. But I spend so much time thinking about trauma. And trauma is something that's caused very often by political events. It can be caused by issues that are exacerbated by politics. So I think it is quite political. Um, that's only just occurred to me in this moment, but I think it is quite political. And <laughs> I think, I so. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. I think so. Political. <laughs> it definitely is. Um, and I think we often think about hope, um, you know, in pastoral situations as well. And this idea that everything's going to be okay. It's a really nice idea, but does it actually always land with people? And so I often think about who's going to be listening if I'm preaching something, who's hearing this? And a few years ago, I read this book, uh, Trauma and Grace by Serene Jones. And mm. it's a really, it's a really accessible book. Um, so I'm sure anybody listening could pick it up and just read it. And one of the things is that it opens with this story um, of a woman who's in church and she's listening to what's going on in church, what's being preached. And because she has, has been through some kind of body, bodily trauma in her life, she can't sit there and, and listen to a hopeful message and she has to leave and remove herself. And so I think I'm kind of um, almost trained to listen for the bits that are gonna do that to people. You know, so if someone's sitting there listening to this and thinking, I've had a terrible year, um, 
And then Second Corinthians says, don't worry, it's all going to be okay. Um, there's this eternal arc of hope. I mean, that's comforting for some people, but not for everybody. So, yeah, I think I would think through how to how to go with that and where to go with that. I think I um, also want to be wary as a preacher of pounding trauma, mm-hmm. um, because I um, I hear the kind of don't look at what is uh, seen because it's temporary, but look for what is unseen, which is eternal. I think of of people in trapped in, or stuck in situations where um, they're maybe trying to look for um, their way out, or um, mm-hmm. you know, if you're if you're stuck in a domestic abuse situation, for example, um, and one in four women um, are. In, and that's that will be true of church life just as much as we like to pretend we're separate from the world but let's not pretend right. um, I think, um <laughs> possibly I think sometimes worse on domestic abuse because we have such a high view of marriage um and that people then have a struggle to get out and then perhaps we could kind of yeah it would be worth us reflecting a bit more about family in general as we go through but I think um there's just something about um I look at that and I think, are, are we saying, oh, you're, it's a momentary affliction. You've just got to keep going and keep holding on. Look for what's unseen in this person, this situation. And then are we yeah. compounding trauma? Um, you know, when we're preaching these things, um, it's where the pastoral meets the political, isn't it? I think that um, right. are we accidentally furthering a situation of injustice? Um, not because we mean to and necessarily, you know, often we, we're so well-meaning, but but actually systems that are well-meaning can still do very damaging things. And and so yeah. how, do we, um, how do we as preachers go in with a really deep recognition of our own power? And if we are speaking in some way for God or for the church in that pulpit way, when we're talking about, you know, like it might sound nice and hopeful, but actually are we perpetuating a, something that then, shuts down avenues of potential justice and hope in somebody's life and I I think because that obviously is not what scripture wants to be doing well I would hope maybe but it's uh, interacting with it and really wrestling with it and sometimes even being explicit about that um yeah that's one of the it's one of the conversations I have a lot I think um I was thinking about the themes idea whether there are themes in the text and um I think which themes there are obviously slightly depend on which Old Testament reading you go with um but I think there's something about um both what is it to have kind of power um you know we come in one samuel there's this whole narrative about we want a king right this is a such an overtly political conversation we want a king it'll do you a lot of damage it'll do you a lot of damage do you really want a king is you know the king will steal all your stuff take all your resources rule you harshly yeah no yeah. we really want a king we want to be like the other nations and uh, we want status um and actually even though ultimately it will lead to a lack of um a lack of you know thriving people want status and it's there's something there about power in there isn't there and I think um so there's yeah. a kingdom conversation we meet the kingdom conversation again in Mark but in Genesis 3 we've got this conversation around gender really and uh, mm-hmm. and sin and what has gone wrong and um and kind of this whole conversation around um our relationship with uh, between each other as human beings but also between us and the world because there's a snake in there as well um and um I think there's something about um yeah the kind of that gender and family conversation that then we also see in um in Mark um because there's the whole family and who are my Mm. mother and brothers and I think so I think where you go with as a kind of thematic link 
probably could be either way um, if you were if you're preaching a thematic link. Should we, should we go to Mark, Katie? Should we have a little look at Mark and, uh, and yeah. some of that? Um, yeah, I, find this, I find this a really difficult passage. <laughs> it is, oh, thank goodness. <laughs> thank goodness. Just a week for those. Um, oh, gosh. It's, um, I'm speaking of family, it's half term this week, and I have a horrible feeling my small person, <laughs> one of my small people, is about to interrupt. Oh, bring <laughs> them in. Moment of like having having a having one of those bloopers that um, go around the BBC. So we'll, we're about to do yes, the for Scotland equivalent, maybe. Um, <laughs> and I, but I think um, so. The Mark Three, and there's is this is a book, right? That um, a, that Ched Myers, who writes a socio-political commentary on Mark, has named his entire book after this passage because um, he calls it "Binding the Strong Man." After that, this kind of no one can enter a strong man's house unless he is. Um, uh, and plunder his property without first tying up the strong man and I um and so this is kind of bit that that Ched Myers thinks is the this is the thing that says you we need to have this political reading of what's going on here mm. um but I find um I find that the conversation it starts and stops with which is you know um the kind of two sides of the sandwich I guess between before we get to the filling bit in the middle about the family really uncomfortable yeah, yeah. um so um yeah, I, I, I think, um, I, I, I guess I, as a, perhaps, because so much of our power as women, maybe, is bound mm-hmm. up in our family structure, um, and, and the idea that Jesus just so casually dismisses that, seems to say kinship's not, not, not the thing, and I think, well, yeah. that's easy for you to say, Jesus, <laughs> like, <laughs> that's easy for you to say, but actually, like, um, you know, what, what about those of us who, who, who do have family and that is a huge part of our status and our power and what does it mean to start critiquing that um yeah so I got a, got a lot of thoughts about that um got a lot of questions yeah yeah it's a it's a difficult one when I read it yeah that kind of really jumped out at me this idea that family is not necessarily your blood mm-hmm. but you can have a kind of chosen family um and what does that look like if you have a family that you choose um or a family who are people who are there for you mm-hmm. um and that that's in some ways it, it does it complicates the nuclear family structure in other ways it's really good news for people who don't have a good yeah. family structure isn't it because you can kind of like choose your own um family and I, I was thinking about that just through the lens I suppose of political disagreements in families um, so my husband is American. Um, there are a lot of political disagreements in our family. I'm sure you can guess what those are about. Um, and also, you know, it, it can be difficult to to have those conversations about about politics, about I suppose about race as well. That's been another one that's come up a lot. And so when I was reading it, I thought oh, that's quite comforting to think of family as being more porous or a little bit more dynamic. Um, if we're if we're facing those kinds of issues or if we're in that kind of um, climate, and I guess also it's the start of Pride Month, um, so I won't um, capitalise too much on that and plant my rainbow flag in the soil. Um, <laughs> but I'll say I think it comes up. Um, I, was, I was just this is a complete aside. I was just thinking this morning about the politics of um, of Pride Month has been taken over, um, and it's become really capitalistic, and it's yeah. become something that's yeah, just isn't aside. Um, but this is an idea, it comes up in queer theory, it comes up in queer theology about taking what you need from people and kind of 
taking um, family obligations from people who are not your blood family. Mm. Um, so there's some there's some good news there. I suppose you could also wind that out into things like adoption or um, other kind of non traditional non nuclear families. Mm. I don't know if that's the right way of saying it, but politically could be interesting. Could be comforting for some people. I mean, not everybody. It's interesting. The word family it implies something about belonging, doesn't it? Um, mm. It's the those who belong to him is the phrase. So the idea yeah. that that the family is um, we see family in this kind of Victorian inherited model of like mum, dad, some cute children, a dog, a fireside, you know, um, oh. all sitting around having tea together. Um, but actually, that's not that's that's our cultural model of like it's probably not a real one but it's the kind of cultural fantasy of of what um family is in our kind of norm our norms here right now we should yeah. not apply that back <laughs> i mean no. i think um, i think th- i think people know that but i think that the extent to which it was different um and i think the language of household sometimes has been quite helpful and, and interesting isn't it we've we've spent so much time thinking about household units in COVID um, because actually something about household and kinship and the kind of kinship structures being kind of much more local much more um, in a village Jesus spent his entire life in a in a very small village until yeah. and really until he um, a couple of trips you know a couple of trips to Jerusalem and stuff but from what we can Big tell city. his entire <laughs> world was very small until he starts his itinerant ministry and this is Mark's yeah. beginning of this ministry and it's like of course his family coming to find him out and probably half the village have come right and and actually because he's probably related to half his village because they'll have all married each other and and actually this is a small world but this idea that actually um you know Myers is getting that is kind of saying actually kinship is one of these systems that um is so political and it's one of the yeah. things that this is undoing um mm-hmm. but I think um I yeah and it's also interesting to me that the family are literally outside the house when when this mm. conversation is going on but th- those who he's preaching to those who's, who are listening to him inside the house so there's a kind of interesting demarcation of territory and then um yeah, but I, I come back to this. Um, uh, so I think it's Susanna Cornwall who talks about um, uh, the how we how we are family in our um, mm. in her book Unfamiliarity, and um, and she talks about the idea of fictive um, reproductivity, which is a really mm. long way of saying it, one of the things we do in church life is we kind of. Um, we've we kind of create this idea of um reproduction in other places so we talk about uh religious people being fathers or mothers particularly in kind of monastic communities where people will never have children but we we create Mm. a kind of fictive reproduction so it's idea you have spiritual children and spiritual children are meant to matter more um that's the narrative is that they're even better than real children and so often I think we can do that to this passage. We can say, oh, Jesus says uh, kinship, something to be um, questioned. But what we have instead is something better. It's even more family. <laughs> and I think we should be wary of doing that because actually um, her challenge is that um, this is um, it's, it's tricky because and I'm just going to look at my notes for this. She says that um, it kind of both it's, it makes it kind of sacred or saintly, the actual um the actual family relationships and in one way it says you know family is everything we need to reproduce family in even bigger meta language than before um and um and also but um which is interesting when you know Jesus seems to be critiquing this tradition we shouldn't just re-enhance it in a new spiritual way um but then it also sort of questioning the idea that actually takes away some of the kind of um 
the legitimacy of actual relationships of you know of parents with their children and um there's a fantastic fabulous heather walton quote about baptism sort of implying um that actually um that that first birth is simply not good enough you have to have a second mm. one too and kind of but what does that mean for for mothers actually um you yeah. know all that you go through and it kind of denies it and um and that's for me is why I, you know we get the denominations out on the table it's why I'm Baptist I think I find, find it sits much easier in a an adult believers baptism concept um but it's yeah so anyway wrestling with those ideas because I what I wouldn't want us to reproduce is like family uh Jesus disputes family therefore we need church as the family church as the most family family of all the families and then actually we're doing the thing that Jesus seems to be critiquing so um oh, yeah. that yeah. would be my my nervousness of where we could preach this um that's, that's a good a good point I think and uh, I think with with church church can mess us up families can mess us up just as much so you know we're all messing each other up all the time and to say that the church is any more of a safe place for people I think is is concerning and that's me going back into kind of thinking through trauma I think that's another um kind of point to be wary of yeah absolutely um we also um see so we have this kind of family set up against the kind of um the the, the scribes who think Jesus is demon possessed going on yeah and it's interesting yeah. that um, that Satan's name is um, uh, literally derived from an idiom about dwelling places and abodes. And um, so oh. it seems to be even that is referencing in some way the house. And then there's this f- weird phrase about um, the, you know, uh, nobody can enter the strong man's house uh, and plunder his property without first tying up the strong man. And Jesus seems to be um, saying something about uh, kind of power and household and kingdom and um and kind of putting them against each other and I think it's a really interesting question who's the thief you know um <laughs> is that Jesus and and it, it seems to be it seems to be implying that kind of maybe Satan's the strong man that that needs tying up but um and it, it's interesting that the language about the the property the goods that can be stolen they appear again um I looked it up in Mark 11 when oh, uh, Jesus oh. is casting out um at the temples and turning you know that kind of turning over the tables casting out the money lenders and those who are buying and selling goods in the temple and um he said it, he would not allow anyone to uh, carry goods or merchandise through the temple courts it's the same phrase and then it says immediately afterwards and he taught them is it not written my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations but you have made it a den of robbers so this uh-huh. thing about thieving and worship and house and what is good going on that seems to go through Mark's gospel and kind of opens up this question of, you know, is the kingdom of God coming like a thief in the night? And actually, therefore, is it illegal? Actually, is is the kingdom illegal? Is it is it doing something really subversive to the empire? Yeah. And then kind of, yeah, what's that mean? And yeah. What does it mean? Well, listen, I've been lifted at Faz Lane. I probably shouldn't say that, but I was thinking, just thinking about um protest and and subversive protest and all the stuff we talked about earlier about you know bringing the community together and actually just like defying what is set up for us the law and the way things are mm-hmm. and just pushing back on that and questioning that in a way that's really um yeah subversive I think is what we need to be doing more of I'm not condoning um going out and getting lifted by the police but maybe I am <laughs> 
really we've um, we've written a really um interesting reflection on protest um place based around the police bill um because, you know, yeah going on so I would say if people want to go and think about that we've tried to write it both as a kind of uh practical guide to the bill because there's a lot mm. of what people think it says it doesn't necessarily say and all that kind of thing mm. what does it actually mean um what are the bits we should actually be worried about as Christians but also um there's a really um we've kind of tried to do a bit of a summary of kind of how our traditions have sat with protest as a conversation and what good yeah. protest may or may not be and actually um certainly there are there are huge parts of our tradition um that have really said yeah actually there are times there are times to rise up against this um and yeah. we might want to we might want to talk about how we do that peacefully um and non-violently but that's not to say that that doesn't mean breaking the law sometimes and where where is the line on that and um if the if the you know if if the law is unjust and yeah, that gets us down some interesting spaces, doesn't it? But how do we decide? <laughs> Where is that? But there's a really, it's a really interesting, um, yeah, it's a really interesting piece of work. And I would kind of commend that if people are wanting oh, to yeah. think about that a little bit more, because um, it's meant to be kind of um, written to be a kind of practical, a practical yeah. reflection, really. That's so interesting. Yeah, I was just thinking about all the people in my church who used to, um, so this is my church at home I was talking about earlier, and they used to go and lie on the road. Um, when nuclear warheads were being carried into Faz Lane, because one of the only routes would be through our village, through this mm. main road. So people would just peacefully lie on the road together um, and just not move. It was like a blo- it was like a human blockade. And then eventually they would be moved, um, but it would delay things. And even just del- like delay tactics or you know making life a little bit harder, um, bit of holy mischief, I think they used to call it. <laughs> definitely a good thing you know I would say that's a good thing so it's one other thing I wanted to um ask you what you thought about this actually mm. because I'm I'm really stuck on this and it was the end of Mark um you know in 34 35 yeah. and Jesus looks at everybody in the circle and he says here are my mother and my brothers uh, whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother and the question that I had was well immediately I thought what is God's will and how do you how do you how do you preach that? That's quite a lot of responsibility, is it not? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or what we do, what we do if we have a week to do that is we look at it, we go, I wonder what God's will is. I'll come back to that and then just leave it. <laughs> I think just I can't I can't touch it. It's too much. I, I mean I'm obviously nervous of ever saying I know God's will because that would yeah. make me God, I think, in a particular way. And I would want to set light to that power. Um, but I think the reality is, as a preacher, you are in some way charged with being that person who interprets that. And that is such That's a powerful right. place to be. Um, mm-hmm. And I um, I think I come back to, I'm just looking at the passage. If I use the passage to exegete itself for a little bit, it says, um, truly, I tell you, people will be forgiven for their sins and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit can never have forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they had said he has an an unclean spirit. And it's clearly this phrase that has really worried the writer because it it actually annotates the quote, for he has said, this is what it means. Mm -hmm. This is the context you need to read this in. Um, And I guess there's something about the will of God having... um, and the kind of what the Holy Spirit is up to, having a huge freedom, actually, and the, the, the idea that actually blaspheming, you might, you will get this wrong, we'll be human, 
um yeah and and we will be forgiven that we'll be forgiven our sinfulness actually because that is the gospel um that it seems to be god's will god god wants to forgive us those things but but there's something about what does it mean to blaspheme against the holy spirit that's unforgivable and mm. i think in this passage it's it's clearly saying uh saying that jesus himself is unclean with his spirit there's the saying jesus is wrong or yeah. um that um you know that he's he's wrong in these particular ways either that he has beelzebul he's he's demonic if you say jesus is demonic you've you've fundamentally mm. missed it um mm-hmm. i was just thinking yeah. yeah yeah i'm really nervous just, about, sorry yeah no no i was gonna say I, I think you're right to be nervous and it was just something i was going to note for for those of you who are preaching um that's really heavy that's so heavy and I get to I get to put this down and walk away and um you know if I was floating this as a question to students or something I would just be like well what do we think God's will is and what are the you know pitfalls of us saying we know what God's will is um but it's such a it's such a difficult thing um and if it's due with the Holy Spirit I mean we disagree on that so much in theology um I was gonna say we're in the Church of Scotland you know we don't talk about the Holy Spirit a whole lot um, I think that's fact rather than um, a barbed insult at my denomination. I think we just don't have that language. We don't really talk about um, the Holy Spirit so much. So, yeah, that just kind of caught me at the end. And I thought, oh, thought I was done here. <laughs> thought I was finished. <laughs> it's all these little things that annoy me. And I think the things that, um, you know, if you were if you're preaching on it, maybe wouldn't um you know, it wouldn't be something you would necessarily go after in the same way. I'm just, I'm just curious, you know. Yeah, I think um, I'm also struck by um, how there's a parallel in the passage between mm-hmm. the families thinking he's gone out of his mind and the scribes thinking he's demonic. Yeah. And um, I suppose the question and the caution I would have is if we're declaring what God's will might or might not be. Um, albeit very tentatively in our preaching kind of a way um would be to say we've got to really be careful about how we categorize people in society um who feel inconvenient to the social order um i think um you know either he's gone out of his mind so we can kind of dismiss him and restrain him and take him away um Mm -hmm. and the word for um uh, rest- restrain him is the same word for political prisoners so there's clearly mm-hmm. like a social element to this um and then um and then yeah or we can kind of say oh it's demonic and I think in both in society we do this we say oh they're they're crazy you know they're they're wrong in a particular way therefore them they're, they're mad or we can dismiss them as um or and we do other people quite a lot like that and I think in religious terminology, we can do the same thing. We can say, you're unclean, you're not of us, you are somehow not the gospel, um, you're not pure, you're not shiny, you're not pious in the way that we think holiness looks like. And therefore, because you're outside of our bounds of this, we're going to um, gonna declare you other. And I think I would want to say, um, these are two people who tried to declare Jesus as other. I think we have to be in the other space first. Um as we come to preaching, I, I would want to put us in that place and say, right, let's 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 sit with Jesus in the space that's saying, what's it mean to be considered, um, you know, uh, not not in our minds? What is it to be considered, um, you know, demonic? And then from mm-hmm. that place, what what does what does hope look like? You know, what is God's will from there? Um, because because I think we have to, yeah, 
be wary that we we don't blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. And I think, you know, what is what is where is God in the work work in the world? Well, always in the other, always in the margins in my experience. I kind of would yeah. that would be kind of where I think I'd I'd want to go. Yeah. yeah, with the people who are not necessarily holy. I mean, that's a whole other thing that I've been working on is people who don't who are not churchgoers or who are like post church or for atheists or just you know I do so much work on unbelief because it's where I'm comfortable um and I think there's there's something about how we look at people who've moved away from church or gone to a different space and we think of them as having I don't know blasphemed maybe or or left behind something or you know but but I think you said this really well earlier there's something about how the church and the world are so close and they're so much closer than we even think they are and when people move away from faith for any reason or are sitting on the margins of faith maybe for a reason that church has caused maybe not um you know they're still within the world they're still within the catchment of the church the church is part of something really that's much bigger so yeah i think there's it's a lot more porous than we imagine um which i think is what you were saying earlier but i'm not sure i might have just added that on i think I think I certainly would want to say that holiness is only ever defined by God and never by mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. Uh, we might yeah. set some canonical bounds of interpretation occasionally, but I think for the most part, um, yeah, it, if you try and narrow it down too much, God has a habit of popping up <laughs> beyond, beyond the margins of what you've declared. Karl Barrett is rolling in his grave right now. <laughs> <laughs> He's just spinning. Yeah, absolutely. No, I agree with that. And I think, um, you know, whenever I read, I read any of these passages about people who are sitting on the margins or sitting on the outside, we can think of people sitting politically um, marginalised, but it's something we all experience and we have all experience with COVID. Um, you know, we've all felt lonely at some point. We've all felt like we're kind of on the outside or misunderstood or marginalised. And, and I think, you know, politically that happens definitely to some groups more than others um and that's a real that's a real social set of social problems that we need to think through um but yeah if we can move ourselves to think about what it is to be on the boundary or or the outside that's really helpful Mm. katie um do you have any more thoughts on um before we uh wind up and and let our um listeners go to actually sit with the scriptures themselves and and think about what they're going to preach do you have any more thoughts about um how either your work with kind of unbelief or your work in kind of trauma theology could uh, help our preachers as they go forward? I mean, I, I think I often say to people that trauma and unbelief are two of the most unhelpful things um, for people to know about theologically. Um, you know, we don't want to know about people who don't believe in what we believe in. We also don't want to know about where the church hurts people. Um, which is why I think I've picked up on both of them because they're two sides of the same coin for me. I don't know if they are um, for anybody else. But I think sometimes we just have to trust that there's enough space within faith to actually question those things and sit with them. And I suppose one of the um, the kind of pictures I go back to with trauma especially is this idea of Holy Saturday. Um, it comes up in so much of the trauma literature that I read, you know, the day between the crucifixion, the resurrection, just this day where there's not a lot of hope and you're kind of sitting in a framework where something terrible's happened and you don't have the hope of what's coming the hope of the resurrection and I think that's a really useful place to sit sometimes um 
it certainly is for me. And I think sometimes it's just about trusting that having doubt or not knowing um, what's happening or even um, just these these big kind of difficult issues that come up. I think I think God can take our doubts and can withstand our questioning. And that's, I think, a little bit hopeful. Mm-hmm. If I'm allowed to say hope, no, it's a little bit hopeful. <laughs> I'll concede. I'll concede it is a little bit hopeful. <laughs> I think I, I think. I think a lot of us would um, say that actually our experience of faith is that um, the opposite is not doubt, it's certainty. And, um, Absolutely. And that, um, I don't know who came up with that quote the first time around, but I thought it was excellent and I've yunked it and used it a lot of times since. But I think actually sometimes it is about sitting with the kind of, the in the unresolved, isn't it? And, mm-hmm. um, yeah. uh, and the genuinely painful, um, you know, sitting with the grief, um, and um, I, I heard somebody describe trauma as the pain that remains. And I think, yes. you know, realising that um, that there will be pain that remains this side of, um, you know, this side of heaven. <laughs> you know, that actually, ultimately, we might say there will be no tears. But but at this space, in this world, in we sit with that human, that human reality. And I think um, yeah. we, we're doing uh, both a political injustice and a, a, a preaching injustice if we try and resolve it too easily sometimes I think it's comforting for people who are preaching you know you don't have to tie it all up in one sermon um you know one sermon can be really powerful but it doesn't have to be the end word and I think just keeping learning keeping listening um are always things that I would you know ask people to do and um as an academic of course I'm always touting for business you know but (laughs) goes beyond that I'm sure you know so if you want to go do practical theology, Aberdeen is a good option on the table. Please, please come and work with me. Yeah, do absolutely. Send me an email. Well, Katie, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you and your wisdom and your thoughts and um, your uh, political uh, engagement and the way you've brought your uh, life of faith and your life of politics so beautifully together for us today. Thank you. Um, and I'm sure people will really appreciate it as they're going to preparing their sermons this week. And uh, thank you to everybody for tuning in and listening to us and um, to uh, thinking about how politics should or shouldn't appear in your preaching this week. Um, So let's go out with a blessing. May we be anointed with God's spirit as we bring good news to the poor, proclaim release to the captives, help people to see the world truthfully and let the oppressed go free. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much. Thank you, Katie.